Hey, welcome to our Sunday gathering. My name is Kyle. If we haven't met yet, I'm the lead pastor at Generations Church. As we get started with our teaching time this morning, let's take a moment and I want you to close your eyes. Picture the first thing that you will do after the stay home, stay healthy ceases. Picture it in your mind's eye. Is it some place that you'll go to eat? And maybe you can even taste that meal that you are going to eat first. Maybe it be, will be a gathering with friends. Maybe it will be the gym where you go to work out. How clearly can you see it? Right now, some of you see this picture crystal clear. Some of you are distraught because it's been so long since you've been outside your house that you feel like you can't picture anything other than your living room. Whether you can picture it clearly or can't picture something at all, what will make that picture reality? It's when you act on it. As we will say in this series, it's embodied to give a tangible or visible form to. To take something that you see in your mind's eye, that picture, whatever it is, and then to make it reality, it must become embodied. You must take that picture and act on it. A vision, a dream, a thought becomes reality when it is embodied. Some of us right now live in a dream world that we never expect to make it a reality because we are unwilling to take action. Some of us are living so firmly focused on the world around us that we never dare to dream more. We don't, we don't have a picture of what could be or what might be because we are so firmly entrenched in the world around us. And so the dream seems foreign. Some of us have this dream of what could be and then look around at just at reality around us, but we're not quite sure how to bridge the two. How does what we see and what we dream of, that picture of what could be, how are they actually bridged? How do they get connected? All three of these disconnects prevent us from seeing the vision of God be expanded through people. And that has always been God's goal. That his will and his way be manifested through people. Through the pictures and dreams that he puts in the people's hearts and minds become reality. And then as we live in this world, that we are in effect, in essence, caught up to a picture of a world of what could be in contrast to a world that is. And as we see these two pictures of a world that is and a world that could be, he wants that world to be made manifest through his church. In the same way, the reality of Jesus bringing heaven to earth through his church right now, while not always seen with clarity, it doesn't make it any less real. God, through his people, through his church, is bridging that gap. 
through his church. He's bringing his will and his way to effect fully through the people of God who surrender to him and are obedient. Through people who dare to dream more of a world of what could be. And through a people that don't get so caught up in with what's around them that they dream more about a world made right through Jesus. The reality in heaven must become embodied on earth. The vision made manifest is not always the most practical. It's not always the most heroic. God's will embodied through men and women who are obedient through the Holy Spirit wherever they are will make God's will and his way manifest on this earth. See, Paul is writing to a group of believers in a city called Colossae. And he wants to remind them that their experience can catch up to reality. He wants to see the connection between of what could be God's will and God's way, what he desires for them, and the reality in which they find themselves. He wants to see those be connected. Paul wants them to aspire to be like Christ through Christ. Because through Christ, God sees them as they actually are, which is like him. Therefore, they don't need external practices to make them appear to be what, in fact, they actually are. See, God sees you if you have surrendered your life to Jesus as perfect through Christ. And he wants that aspiration to meet the reality, to meet the actual See, Paul says here in Colossians chapter 3, as he transitions from Colossians 1 and 2 into the last half of his letter to this group of believers. If you were raised with Christ, maybe your translation says, so if you have been raised with the Messiah. Paul here begins to focus on practical Christian living with a clear understanding that practical Christian living is built on the foundation of theological truth. Because we know that Jesus is really raised from the dead, then our identification with him becomes real. Now, if you're skeptical about that truth claim right there of the reality of Jesus being resurrected from the dead, on this week's episode of the Midweek Podcast, we're going to cover some basic evidences of the resurrection. And so if you are someone who's skeptical or you're someone who wants to be equipped to understand the evidences of the resurrection, tune into this week's episode of our midweek podcast. See, it is only because we are raised with Christ that we can seek those things that are above. The idea of being raised with Christ was introduced back in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul used baptism to illustrate this spiritual reality. And he wants this aspirational call to be lived out actually in our everyday life. Now, seeing that we are raised with Christ, certain behavior is appropriate to us. An inward resurrection drives external resurrected living. The opening verses of chapter 3 sustain the closest connection with the closing verses of chapter 2. 
Here the Apostle Paul reminds the Colossians that aesthetic practices, that, that disciplining yourself and punishing for your sinful desires and your sinful nature has no real value in restraining the indulgence of the flesh. Those sinful tendencies that we, we find ourselves in our minds and in our hearts, the, the why did I do that or I can't believe I screwed that up or it seems like as we go through life that just certain situations, maybe certain drama just follows you everywhere. That is the consequences of sin and the pollution of sin in your life. And Paul says more discipline won't restrain the consequences of that pollution, the indulgence of the flesh, as he says at the end of Colossians 2. The only remedy for sinful passions is found in the believer's experience of union with Christ. And that's what we looked at in Colossians chapter 2, that union with Christ. Our life must be bound up in the substance of Christ. And as he transitions into Colossians chapter 3, to see things become reality, to see our union with Christ be made manifest in our everyday life, to see the call of Christ, how God sees us as we actually are to be embodied. We must return to the premise that we have been resurrected with Christ. See, because we were raised with Christ, we should act just as Jesus did when he was resurrected. See, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus left the tomb. So should we. We don't have to live in sin and death anymore. After his resurrection, Jesus spent his remaining time on earth with ministering to his disciples. So we should also live our lives being with and serving one another. After his resurrection, Jesus lived a powerful life through supernatural power, with the ability to do impossible things, so should we live with the power of the enabling of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. You have access to incredible power through the Holy Spirit when you have said yes to Jesus and you live the resurrected way. After his resurrection, Jesus looked forward to heaven, knowing he would soon enough ascend there. So should we recognize that our citizenship is in heaven. And we should long to be present where God's will and God's way is lived out perfectly. And through Jesus, God's will and his way is being embodied through the church right now. Every time someone says yes to Jesus in their everyday life, the will and the way of God is being lived out. Church, you are part of bringing the way of God, God's design back to the world in which we live in. See, after his resurrection, Jesus knew that he would return to judge the earth and to make it new. So should we actively demonstrate what this new earth will be like so that more people will get to experience it. To emphasize the implications of Christ's resurrection even more, Paul adds this phrase, sitting at the right hand of God. Our attention is to be focused on the sovereign rule which Christ now exercises. Jesus is Lord. And as my friend Kanye says, Jesus 
is king. You know, we're BFFs, you know, and all that. Not really. But, but I, I was caught up in that Kanye way for a while. But when we realize that Jesus is king, we won't settle for lesser lordships in our lives. See, the command to aspire to the things of heaven is a command to mediate and dwell upon Christ's life. And then, in fact, he is now enthroned as Lord of the world. See, the logical conclusion for Paul is that you, of you being risen with Christ, so you should then set your mind on things above. The believer is to seek the things above. The word seek marks aspiration, desire, passion. In order to seek these things, our minds must be resolutely set on them. The best Christian living comes from minds that are fixed on heaven, which means that we are fixed on bringing God's will and God's way to actually to our earth and around us. We realize that our lives are now hidden with Christ in God when we have said yes to following him. And since Jesus is enthroned in heaven, our thoughts and our hearts are connected to heaven also. Paul has now flipped the object that was once hidden. If you remember back in Colossians 1, and, it, and if you are just now joining us for the first time, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those series, some of those teachings that we looked at Colossians 1, because we said that the mystery of Christ was hidden, but it has now been made known. And so as Christ has been made known, it's actually the believers that are now hidden with Christ. And so through our lives being hidden with Christ, we, in effect, make Christ known to the world around us. It means we are to actively look and not settle. This is not something that we do passively, but we return to Jesus again and again. I think of a game that I play with my kids sometimes, hide and seek. And maybe it's just that word, seek. And if I play with them and we get going for a while and I have this really, really good hiding spot, usually if it takes a while for them to find me, they start to lose interest. They get distracted or they look at, uh, maybe it's go play with their toys or they, they get caught up in something and I'm still there hidden and wherever I am hiding. And I, you know, you, as a parent, you want to be found. You, you want them to seek for you and experience that joy of finding you. And so you make a little noise. You say, hey, I'm over here. Or you, you bang on a door or something like that. And maybe it, it jogs. Remember, oh, I'm supposed to be looking for dad. And gets their attention and brings them back and searching and ultimately they are distracted and maybe they're not fully invested in the search i think sometimes in life we feel like we're playing hide and seek with god where we know we are supposed to be seeking and and trying to find him but all too easily we get distracted by the things around us and sometimes god has to bring some attention maybe it's a knock on a door or a soft whisper of, hey, come find me. Experience the joy of finding me. And as I, as I picture that game, just the joyous reunion one, my kids eventually find me and we get to celebrate and we get a laugh and 
Maybe there's some tickling that ensues. But at the end of the day, there is great joy. And they have accomplished what the whole game was about. Finding dad and rejoicing together and accomplishing a win. In our world, it is difficult to stay focused on God. I think admittedly so as we get caught up in the worries of our world, as we get caught up in just the relationships and just the things sometimes simply to survive. We get distracted because we don't see how when we find our heavenly father who loves us and we seek out to find him, that when we do find him, he actually then provides for us. And we get to actually experience the things that we get so distracted with. And it's a good thing. We are so half-hearted at times and we can easily get distracted. Isn't that what our seeking can look like? We just got finished with looking at how aesthetic practices and rules will not curve our self-indulgence. It will not curb us from being distracted. It won't effectively move our eyes away from self to what is above. And so we have to ask the question, what will prevent me from getting distracted? Because if self-discipline and aesthetic practices won't move us to seek what is above, what will? Paul actually gives us those answers here in Colossians chapter 3. See, first seeking God in a distracted world begins with picturing the end. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. The promise of the return of Jesus is not only that we will see his glory, that we will also appear with him in glory. It's that glorious reunion, that joy of we can't wait to be with our God on a perfect earth forever. When Christ, who is our life, sometimes we say like music is his life or sports is his life or he lives for his work of the Christian. It should be said, Jesus Christ is his life. And we must picture that. And there is nuance between church is his life and Jesus is his life. And in our community groups this week, we're going to take a look at this nuance the difference, the subtle difference between church being your life and Jesus being your life. Because when Jesus is our life, we will then live out his will and his way in the everyday things of life. And the resulting will be a church of followers of Jesus, perfectly living out God's will in his way. And we must first picture Jesus, we must picture that reunion. And all in that day, we will see the saints of God as they really are. Not as they merely appear to be in this world. If we think in the terms of Paul, Paul, who is a prisoner, he's some eccentric Jew to the Romans and worse than Gentile traitor to the Jews, will be seen as Paul the apostle, servant of the king, the Colossians insignificant ex-pagans from a third-rate country town will be seen in glory, which if it were now to appear, one might be tempted 
to worship, they will be seen as perfect, as caught up with Jesus. This is why in the last several weeks we have talked about story over sin. Because your story matters. And it is not a story of past fear and failure, but it is a story of when we, our story is united with God. God sees us as that, and we can in effect see each other as worthy of love and respect because we have the end in mind. Caught up in glory together. Pictured and seeing each other as loved and worthy of respect and full of grace. Which leads to the second piece of what will move us to living faithfully in a distracted age. To seek what is above in a distracted age. It's encounters with believers who embody the character of Christ. I remember when I first got to know some of my in-laws, future in-laws at KCU. I grew up in a household where it was just very natural uh, that everyone had their own car. Grew up in a family of five and it seemed like everyone just had their own car. That's just the way in which we grew up, right, wrong, or indifferent. And you know this car was dad's car, this car was mom's car, Kyle had his car, and, and, and Katie and Kayla had their cars. And I remember getting to know my in-laws, and I was baffled and confused at first. Because in a family of, with six kids and two parents, and at that time only about three kids in and around the house, and uh, uh, a mom who was heavily involved in campus at KCU, and, and a dad who worked at the university, they only had two cars And they shared those two cars amongst each other. And I remember being so confused at first because it was like, what do you mean you don't have your own car? The fact that you share cars freely and willingly with each other and you actually communicate about who needs what, where, and when. And it took it to take it a step further. I remember the first time that someone from the KCU campus where I was in college needed a car to get home for a weekend for a family emergency. And my future in-laws gave up one of their two cars for that person to take for the weekend. I remember scratching my head and being ultimately very confused. How and why would they let someone borrow their car? Weren't they afraid of it getting wrecked? Weren't they afraid of it coming back not as clean? What if it was dinged or, you know, how... Would the person put gas back in the car? At that time, I had all these questions racing through my mind. But some of those pictures have stayed with me. Because what I was picturing and what I was encountering were people who were learning what it was like to obey Jesus and be selfless. That encounter with my in-laws, I can say that to this day, has profoundly shaped me because it was different from my upbringing. It wasn't necessarily, I wouldn't say it was better or to contrast my family with their family. It's just different places in our life. But that encounter struck me to the core as something different. Encounters with believers 
we're learning what it looks like to love and serve Jesus, who display a level of grace and selflessness in a world that is sometimes very selfish, in a world that is sometimes very quick to judge and write someone off, to, to hold our possessions and our values close to our self. When we encounter believers who are different, those encounters stick with us and they shape us and they point us to a vision of eternity where we will be together, rejoicing, sharing together in the greatness of God. See, while ascetic practices won't curb self-indulgence, there are some good practices that put us in a position to be changed. But ultimately, these practices won't bring change because it only comes through the Holy Spirit. And so I have to ask, what do other people's encounters with you communicate about your encounter with Christ? What do other people's encounters with you communicate about your encounter with Christ? See, earthly things are not evil. And while in my story I use an earthly possession, they're not all evil. Even harmless things themselves become harmful if permitted to take the place that should be reserved for things above. When good things become God things in our life, the people we encounter will be directed to something temporary instead of something intended for the eternal. See, when people encounter you and me, if we are followers of Jesus, they should be directed to something that is eternal. They should be directed to Jesus when our story is caught up with his story. And that's why at Generations Church, we talk about progress over perfection, where we want to see the temporary things that hold the, the thrones of our hearts displaced. And ultimately, everything that we do be connected with Jesus, to put him on the driver's seat of our lives. And if we are connecting with Jesus, then the next interaction that we may have with the same person should be different than the next. So just imagine, you're standing in line at a coffee shop when this stay home, stay healthy uh, thing is over with. And you're talking to someone, chatting someone up, and they're talking about processing on the other side of it. And what if in that interaction, rather than complaining or, or griping, or in the midst of that, you say, man, I was able to actually spend some time connecting with my family. I was able to grow deeper with Jesus. Man, and in fact, I was profoundly shaped by what my church was leading me through and doing. So much so that you actually pull out your phone and say, hey, we would love for you to get connected with our church. A place to discover Jesus. A place to discover community. What could that look like? That as we navigate this next season together, that as people encounter you in your everyday life, you're not someone who is pointing to something temporary, but you are someone who is pointing to something eternal. Because your mind in this season is being set on what's above. So take the opportunity right now to not picture what you're going to do first when you get out of this stay home, stay healthy. But take this opportunity to picture 
what that union with Christ will look like as you appear with Him in glory. And if you are someone who is confused by that, if you're not someone who is like, I'm not sure I'm going to appear with Him in glory, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. We want you to say yes to Jesus today. We want you to get, gain that experience of finding your heavenly Father and laughing and rejoicing with Him. So right now, if your soul is so moved that you want to say yes to Jesus, just in that comment section below, say, I'm saying yes to Jesus. Send us a message and say, I'm saying yes to Jesus today. Don't let the distance of technology rob you from an opportunity of finding your heavenly Father. Experience a God who loves you and wants your encounter with Him to profoundly shape the rest of your life. Let's go on this journey together of displacing our idols, displacing the things that hold our hearts with a tight grip. Begin to seek the things above and experience and encounter a God who loves us. Together, we must return to the core of who Jesus is. Today, let's return to who Jesus is by seeking what is above. Let's pray. God, right now, I pray for those watching that in this moment that they will return to who is above, and that is Jesus. That we will seek to be tangibly hands and feet of Jesus. That we will seek to embody who you are. That we will make not just this vision, this thought, stay a vision or thought or be so caught up with reality, but we will seek to bridge the two through living a resurrected life. Thank you for your love, for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.